Welcome to Soul Talk, soulful conversations exploring who you are, why you're here, and how to live your most authentic life. My name is Coop Blackson, nationally best-selling author of You Are The One, transformational teacher, and your host. I invite you to subscribe to the Soul Talk podcast for weekly inspiration from me, where I will share with you some powerful ideas, thoughts, and practical life wisdom to help you live life more fully, freeing yourself from your past, reclaiming your power, and living your true life's purpose. You can also go to www.coopblackson.com, enter your name and email to download my free two-part video training series and learn the ultimate secrets to happiness and fulfillment. Let's get started with Soul Talk. Welcome back, folks. Welcome to another very special episode of the Soul Talk podcast. Uh, We've been having some amazing episodes recently. And uh, again, a big thanks to all of your messages and um, emails and all of that good stuff. Just letting me know what you've been receiving from the Soul Talk podcast uh, today going to be another special episode. I'm really excited to interview my guest today. Haven't had the opportunity to meet him in person, but I feel like he is a, a soul brother. What I love about this man I'm about to introduce to you is he just, he's no bullshit, tells it like it is, no nonsense. Uh, he is a Scottish, check this, a Scottish, the first Scottish personal development expert I know of. Uh, He's an author, a speaker, urban philosopher. He's written two no-nonsense uh, New York Times best-selling books on personal development. The first one you've probably heard about, Unfuck Yourself, Get Out of Your Head and Into Your Life. Also, Stop Doing That Shit and Self-Sabotage, Demand Your Life Back. I think, folks, you can see where this, uh, this episode is going to go. Get your pens and papers ready. Welcome to uh, Soul Talk, Gary John Bishop. Welcome, Gary. Awesome, Coop. Thanks for that magnificent introduction. It's great to talk with you. Yeah, it's great to have you on, man. So listen, I grew up in England, and uh, when I grew up in England, there wasn't, you know, much, uh, for the UK, there wasn't much personal growth and self-development happening. And so I'm curious, you know, in terms of your journey, there might be some folks that don't know of your story, but I'm really curious of your journey because it felt like when you wrote your book, Amazing book, amazing title, came out of nowhere, boom, you know, uh, really resonated with people. I'm really curious in terms of just a bit about your journey and, you know, from Scotland, how, how did your path begin in terms of seeking, in terms of personal growth and transformation? What was, what was that journey? I'm always curious, was it, was it your parents? Was there a, a, a specific event? What, what occurred to take you from Scotland to being a nationally, you know, New York Times bestselling author. Give me, give me a little bit um, of a, a synopsis. Yeah. So I, I actually left Scotland in 1994. So I've got uh-huh. one of these kind of hybrid transatlantic accents. Um, <laughs> nice. But I, but I've, uh, but I actually left Scotland for different reasons. I, I left Scotland to pursue my career as a musician, and mm. um, which was. Which was fine, you know. I made I made four albums. I toured a bit. Um, I didn't make any money, and nobody's ever heard of me. But it was it was a good life, you know. I enjoyed it. Mm. Um, and then about a little over, probably about thirteen years ago now, um, a relative of mine asked me if I would do a personal development workshop, which at the time just horrified me. You know, I was just like, oh come on, you know, a workshop. Mm. You know, I don't do I don't do workshops. You know. <laughs> Um, so eventually I succumbed. I said, all right, I'll do it. And uh, it was awesome. It was so eye-opening. It was not what I expected. I thought it would be a lot more kind of touchy-feely. It was. It was very confrontational. Mm. And it opened my eyes up to all my own machinery, all the ways that I had quite literally in- inhibited myself. And um, mm. that kind of sent me off in a pathway. It was a real passion as I as it started to unfold. As the work was working on me, I started to share it with other people. And then I went into mm. this really intensive training program to deliver and facilitate transformational workshops all over the world. And I did that for a number of years to thousands and thousands of people. Mm. And then about five years ago, I quit that. It was... It was quite, you know, I was a senior program director. It was a lot of responsibility. and I wanted to do my own thing. And um, I, that's when I started to write. So by the time my first book came out, 
you know, I mean, I was up to my eyeballs in personal growth and development. I had coached, <clears> you know, probably 50,000 people by the time my first book came out. Um, so <clears> where I see a lot of people, it looks like I came out of nowhere. I had, in fact, yeah. been grinding it out and hustling and learning and, you know, putting mm. together my own my own kind of way of delivering some of this material. Mm. Mm. I'm curious when you did when you did this workshop for the first time, what was the was the biggest insight, the biggest the biggest breakthrough, the lesson that that shifted? Yeah. you went in a little skeptical and like, yeah. what was what was what was that moment? Was there a specific moment where just a light yeah. bulb went off, something opened up? I'm curious about that. Yeah, there were a couple. So a big one for me was. At the time, if you'd asked me how was my relationship with my mom, for instance, I would have said it was fine. I'd have just been like, I don't, you know, it's fine. But the more that I dug into it, I started to realize that it was no coincidence that I lived 3,000 miles away from her. And I started to realize that the distance wasn't just in miles, that there was something there that I'd put there that I could never quite seem to figure out what it was. So I, I, I very quickly started to come to terms with how much I'd withdrawn from my mom and how I'd blamed her for certain things. And then as an adult man, kind of just made all that okay. But how the relationship had turned out, it just, I just was not, I, I, I wasn't, you know, for all intents and purposes, I just wasn't a loving man with her. And then when I joined the dots, I could see that I wasn't a loving man in my own marriage. Like I'd become this hardworking, single-minded, driven kind of human being. Not a bad guy, you know. I mean, I was a good guy doing good things. But on, that's on one hand. But on the other hand, I was an asshole. Like I just, hmm. I just wasn't the guy that I thought I was. And so there was hmm. those big moments of realization. Where it was like, oh, my gosh, there's these massive gaps between who I think I am and how I actually am in life. And that was uh, confronting and a little bit frightening. But then I started to live into that. I started to experiment mm. with myself and take myself on. Like, what if I was truly the expressive, loving man that I would say I am, but there's no reality for it in my life? And that's when right. I started to break out some old patterns and take my life on in new ways and create new relationships with the people in my life that I love the most. Mm. That's beautiful. I I love that, you know, I think sometimes it really takes telling the, telling yourself the truth. And there's so many ways we bullshit ourselves. And so mm -hmm. for those that might be listening in, Gary, and maybe they're estranged from their parents or they have issues with their parents or they're, you know, they're unresolved with their parents in some way, incomplete, anger, resentment. Yeah. It, what, what would you suggest? Is there a, based on your experience, well, what, what can they do? Yeah. Is there a first step? Yeah. Well, where do they start? Well, well, I think you got to, I mean, the first one is it's, it's a very touchy subject for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. and, mm -hmm. and that should be screaming something at you if it's a touchy subject for you, right? If it, that should be telling you something right there. Um, or if you're totally numb to it, that tells you something about it too. Um, mm. Now, we... We all relate to our parents and our past in very distinct ways. Um, if you are resentful, you are estranged from your parents. And, you know, again, people will say, well, I'm okay with being estranged from my parents. I know, but if you actually listen to somebody like me talk, you'll realize all of that stuff is coming up in your head. Like it's all coming up. Mm. Try on the idea that that's all suppressed and pushed down, that you don't actually mm. get to be yourself when you're hanging on to this. Um, it's, it's, often very challenging for people to see what they're hanging on to because they've become so accustomed to it. So mm. what, I, what I start with, with uh, what I, when I used to have clients, I would say, look, imagine you could take all this stuff out of the way. You could get it all out of the way. What would be there mm. for you and that person? Like, what would be there? And initially, people will fight for whatever's in the way. They'll say, well, it's not out the way. And I'll say, well, but imagine mm. it is out the way. What would be there? And the more you do that kind of work, you start to realize what's in between you and that person. And if you take out mm. the idea that they put it there, right? And I know that's not easy for people to hear. Right? Yeah. People are yeah. very, and say, I didn't put it there. Regardless of that, right? If you take the case that you could take it out, what would be there? And at some point in that process, you end up at ground zero. 
And what's actually there between people and their parents is something called love. That people actually, if they could remove everything, what would be there is a completely uh, unrestrained expression of love. And whatever that is that's got in there, right? It might have been your parents did some shitty things. Your parents might not have done anything. You might have felt as if they neglected you or didn't care about you or were more interested in themselves. Mm. Whatever that thing might be, I would invite you to take on the idea that you are insistent that that thing remain. Right? Now, Mm. some people say, no, I've tried. I know, but you try and you go in and you keep checking for that thing being there. Yes, see, it is. It's still there. Like you're relying on them to be different. And if you want to change any relationship in your life, but particularly with your parents, you've got to bring something new to the table, not to change them, but rather to change this. What is this? This thing between you and I. And it all comes down to, at some level anyway, you've got to accept them for who you are. Like you can't demand they accept you for who you, who you are but you're not willing to do the same. And, and then when you can get to that space of acceptance, the next space is clearly um, one of loving the entirety of who they are rather than just the bits you like and approve of. Mm-hmm. I love that. I love that. And so the first key is, is really the willingness to also give up our, the, the, the story that we're bringing and so what if, what if Gary, because I think what you're saying is really important. What if, let's say someone is in a, a, a situation, because I've heard people say this, you know, but you, Gary, you don't understand my dad. You, you, just, you just don't understand what they, they you, just, you know. Yeah. And, and so maybe intellectually they know, like, Gary, you're yeah. right. I, I should da- forgive my freaking dad. I, sh- yeah. I, I know I should, but I just can't. You know, I, yeah. you know, you know, you've heard those stories. So I have, how, how, I does have. Someone, how does someone connect that dot, right? Like, I know I should, yeah. you're right, you're right, but I'm triggered again, you know, and yeah. I know I should accept them, but oh, I'm triggered. I just, it, it, it's like, it, it, they often yeah. say, well, it's happening to me, you know, like there's no responsibility yeah. in the fact, but so, yeah. so what do you say there? Cause I think it's an important, that you're bringing up an important point and I, and, and, and I, and, and there's things I've heard from folks. So. Yeah. Help us, help us well, well, yeah, so I would say, look, try on the <laughs> idea that you don't understand your dad. Oh. Try on that the, you're constantly coming at your dad from the same perspective, looking for a different result. You see, some of the greatest breakthroughs I've ever had with people was the moment that I saw their humanity. It was the mm. moment that I saw mm. what they were dealing with. Mm. And often, by the way, those people themselves didn't know they were dealing with what they were dealing with. So in my relationship with my mom, I started to see that this was somebody who at a really fundamental level had the experience of being unloved, like that she wasn't loved. And that Mm. subconsciously her life was about verifying that for herself. So she would be verifying that she's unloved. She'd be picking up on and pointing to and, you know, and sometimes even like glorifying in it, like, you know, how alone she was. When, mm-hmm. I, when I actually started to see, I got past her anger or her upsets and I could see what she was actually wrestling with. Then all I had was yeah. compassion for her. It was very hard for me to be an asshole with this woman who's struggling. And mm-hmm. even though there were times when she was maybe not being her best self with me, I actually became indifferent to it. Like it didn't mean anything to me because I saw it as her struggle, not mine. And so that's when I started this process of, of, of this kind of whole and complete love. Like I love her for all of her. That includes the things that I agree with and the things that I like about her. And at the time when I confronted it, there weren't many things, right, that I would say I liked about her, but I managed to explore those elements of her, like her determination, like I really admired and loved that about her, that she would, she just never gave up. She never gave up on her family. She never gave up on herself. But then I could start to love the elements of her that once upon a time I would have said that I resisted. So when she was being angry, I would be loving. Not to stop her being angry, just because I thought it was important that I should love her. And so I started to have this relationship be about what was important to me. I didn't have it be about trying to change her 
or adjust her or have her do something that she you know she's never done before or have her some have some light bulb moment you know where she suddenly saw the light I'm not interested in that here's what I'm interested I said that I would be a loving man and I'm going to be a loving man with this woman in the face of all of my own internal dialogues in the face of all of my own triggers I'm going to hold myself to that and that's when I started to see her in a different light I started to see her as a human being rather than this character called my mom. Mm. Mm. Powerful. Powerful. Wow. Yeah, I think my when I when I look back on my relationship with my father, I had a really kind of tough relationship with my father growing up and had a lot of resentment that I didn't even know was there. And and I think for me as you're speaking, uh my my relationship with him really shifted when I actually accepted him totally you know it's like this is who he is and he was that way before i was born but also a real shift happened when i actually stopped seeking from my father uh, a sense of love and actually just started giving to him the love that i felt in my heart regardless of what he did or what he didn't do and that was that was a huge thing and so i think you're speaking yeah. to to something something really really important you know um yeah. I, I love the title of of your book, you know, it's pretty straightforward, man. Stop doing that shit. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. And, and, well, that's and, how I uh, talk. Yeah, I love it, man. It's, <laughs> it's just like no bullshit. Just, hey, stop doing that shit. So, you know, what, why do we, what, what, in all of your experiences, you've coached 50,000 people, you know, maybe more now, uh, and your book has touched a lot of people. What, why, what have you seen in terms of why we, why do we sabotage ourselves? Why do we, yeah. you know, we often know I should, you know, I shouldn't go down this path. I shouldn't date that person. I, you know, I shouldn't eat that right. thing, drink that thing, smoke that, whatever it is, you know. And yet, right. as human beings, sometimes we we get stuck in these destructive cycles that hold us back. And so, right. in terms of self sabotage, I guess why do we why do we sabotage ourselves even though we know better? And yeah. how can how can we begin actually shifting that, that sabotage yeah. pattern? Well, I, I, that's a, an awesome question. And, and I think it's one that's perplexed people for a long time because sabotage makes no sense. Um, because here we are, these human beings who are driven to thrive and succeed and get better and improve, make our situation better, make our lives better, make our families better, make our home better, improve our finances, improve our bodies. And for the most part, we are good at a lot of these things. We're good at producing these results in our lives. Um, even from a sporting perspective to an academic perspective, you name it, human beings are outstanding at getting things done. And what you'll also notice, though, is that there's a range of getting things done. That is, and this is kind of, this was my approach. My approach to self-sabotage started with, what if it's deliberate? What if it's not mm. some aberration? What if it's not some fault that I have? What if it's not some character flaw, but in fact, mm. part of the design? And so I, my my understanding of it really started to grow from there. I started to get and see how addicted we are as human beings to the predictable. We're addicted to things being a certain way. Why? Because I can survive those things. And yeah. then I would, often, I would often see it with clients where they'd come to me and they'd say, well, I want to do this with my wife. And I would say, well, do X, Y, and Z. And they'll say, I can't do that. And they'll start, to, they'll start to fight. And I mean it, like literally they would argue for the life they've got. Mm. And then this thing started to unfold like a flower in front of my eyes. I started to see like self-sabotage is a deliberate and intentional attempt to keep you safely ensconced in the life you have it's based on some parameters that I point to in the second book. I actually unveil mm -hmm. the blueprint for your self-sabotage, like what yours is actually about. But it's designed mm. to keep you in a very familiar struggle, a struggle that you'll overcome and you'll have some victories with, and then you'll return mm -hmm. to. And then you'll overcome and have some victories with, 
and then you'll return to it. And your life is quite literally lived in that cycle within a certain range of your being alive, and and then you die. That's basically how it goes. Got it. So how do we how do we break how do we break out of this? Yeah. Protective, you know, mechanism. Because what I'm hearing is partly it. it it's almost like there's a positive intention. There is a self-protective mechanism in self-sabotage. And I love the, yeah. your definition, the, the deliberate and intentional attempt to keep us safe. So if we get, if we get okay, there's a self-protective aspect, how do we, how do we expand that, that boundary, that bandwidth, our capacity yeah. you know, to, to go beyond? Yeah. So I'll use myself as an example. Okay, so... Oh. Uh, if, you, if, you, if you start with the idea there's three fundamental things that as a human being you're organized around, okay? And, I'm, and I'll point to one of them here, but I go into all three in the book, but I'll point to one. One of the things that you're organized around as a human being is what you've concluded about yourself, okay? Now, that isn't what you think of yourself. Um, it's, not, it's not something you might even tell people. I mean, this is like a, like a, a, a weight in the very depths of your subconscious. That is something that when push comes to shove, this is who you are, right? Now, you might not tell anybody this. You might, this isn't something you're walking around the streets, right, telling people. But it's also something that it's not always on your mind. It comes up, it rises, and it falls. And so in my case, uh, a number of years ago, I discovered that I was driven by the conclusion that I'm not smart enough. And that I was driven by it so much, I couldn't even see it. But if you looked in my life, you would see a man taking certain turns in life to avoid any sort of uncovering of that conclusion. Like it would have been supremely embarrassing and and almost debilitating if somebody actually realized what I already thought. Now, at the same time as I'm going through life, I'm kind of getting pushed in certain directions that if I went all the way in in that direction and I succeeded, it couldn't coexist with my fundamental conclusion about myself. So an obvious one was was writing a book. Like, how could I write a Mm. book and still fundamentally believe that I'm not smart enough. So when I was writing my first book, the amount of times that I just said it, so I don't get back to it. And I, I caught myself doing it. I literally caught myself perpetuating the myth of my not being mm. smart. And, I, and, I, and it was like a deliberate attempt to keep me in the life that I had. But the life that I had, I would have said, I'm not happy with this life. It's not what I want. And yet here I am presented with what I want and I'm undermining it. So my, this, again, this, people talk about this subject quite a bit. They'll talk about their self-limiting beliefs. Yeah. The problem with self-limiting beliefs is you don't know yours. <laughs> mm. <laughs> because mm-hmm. because if, you, if you did, it would no longer be a self-limiting belief. <laughs> right. <laughs> Because <laughs> you wouldn't, because you'd realize that it's just what that is. It's not real, right? Mm-hmm. So for you and I, our self-limiting beliefs are true. They're not some figment of our, our friends or our family members. We can see theirs, like, oh, that's 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 a mm-hmm. self-limiting belief. Yeah, but your self-limiting beliefs are like gravity to you. They're they're mm-hmm. true, and so I'm not smart enough for me was the truth. Not a truth, but mm. the truth. And I could point to all the places in my life where I could, I could point to that as evidence for that I'm not smart enough. And then mm. so uh, how I broke out of this pattern, and I'm still breaking out of it, because that, that mm. recurring thought and the emotional constraints that come along with it, they, they show up consistently. There's nothing, yeah. you know, they just they do what they do. Mm. However... Mm. What I've started to do, when I say start, probably the last seven or eight years, I've started to live my life given by something other than my thoughts or my emotions. 
Like I, I have thoughts and emotions. Some of them I like, some of them I don't. Um, some of them I, I love, like I love being happy. I love being joyful. Um, I don't like being depressed, but so every now and again up it comes, right? Um, so I just let it have its way for a little bit while I'm continuing to live my life. I don't indulge it. I don't jump into bed with mm-hmm. it. I don't fight it. I don't try and fight it. It's just there, right? Um, so I've started to live my life given by the future, but the future person that I would say I am or the future that I'm out to accomplish, I start to invite into my life things that challenge that conclusion but that inspire me and light me up. And so I've been I've mm. been pretty effective at going beyond my most base internal dialogues and starting to live my mm. life more aligned with my potential rather than who I might think I am at my most deepest, darkest self. Mm. Got it. Got it. Beautiful. Yeah, I think we make so many uh, of these conclusions about ourselves. Uh, and I think you're right, those de-self-limiting beliefs, much of which we're actually not aware of, it's so true. In terms of, yeah. uh, uh, you, you triggered a thought, in terms of fear, you know, because I think many times we might have these self-limiting beliefs, like you, you, one of yours was like, I'm not smart, and then, you know, you're kind of living a life to avoid that being seen. And so, uh, in many ways, fear, uh, one of the things I've seen that stops us from you know, breaking free, being free, being authentic, uh, right. stepping into our greatness is, is fear. Uh, whether right. it's fear of not being loved, fear of being alone, you know, fear of not being liked, you know. Uh, uh, so I'm curious, uh, and I think I've seen a lot of people, they don't leave that job. They don't, you know, dive in, commit to that relationship, leave the relationship. But you said you, you was it five years ago, Gary, you, you, you left. Yeah. The, the the line of work you were in. So I'm curious, did you face, when you faced with that decision, did you feel yeah. a sense of fear? And, and how did you and do you, and, and how can someone uh, deal with fear? Right. Um, I think you've got to catch yourself copping out at fear. Okay, so what do I mean by that? If, if you examine, if you dig down into why you don't do something. We'll come to that word fear and we'll stop there. We're like, okay, I'm afraid, that's it. All right? and, but there's actually a lot more to this. So when, when uh, and, and it's still the case now, I guess, but whenever people, I ask people, why don't you just blah, 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 blah. And then they say, well, fear. And I say, well, yeah, but what else? I mean, fear, yeah, who cares? What else? And you'll usually find there's some undercurrent. Fear doesn't happen in a vacuum. Fear is there. It arises out of something else that's already there. Right? So we stop at the word fear and say, okay, well, I'm afraid. How come? You know? Like people say, I'm afraid of the dark. No, you're not. Mm. (laughs) What about the dark? (laughs) Right? Like what Mm. about the dark? Well, there could be somebody there. Okay, well, so what? Well, they might attack Mm. me. Okay, but so what? Well, I might die. Okay, now we're talking. Mm. I'm afraid of dying. (laughs) All right. But the chances of you dying when you go into your bedroom at night, (laughs) it's not really true, right? So you've got to go beyond Mm. the fear. Now, the one that's most common for people when you get down to it, it's, it's actually the fear of being judged. So it's not the fear of yeah. failure, but it's the fear of being seen to fail. Right? So it's not the fear of failure. It's, fail, it's the f- failure in front of other people. Like if you took everybody wow. away and no one knew that you were going to fail or win, would you do it? And the vast majority of people would say, yeah, I would totally yeah, do it's it. That's a good point. Nobody, it's a good right? point. Nobody can see me fail, right? So... So then it comes down to, well, I have this fear of being judged. Well, come on, we're all judging. So you're judging them for judging you, which is a judgment, right? Um, so we're all judging. It's part of being human. You realize that judgment is... But if you can just see, if you can get yourself to where I've got myself a lot in life is they're going to judge me anyway. 
They judge me if I do it, and they'll judge me if I don't do it. And they'll judge me for putting a curse word in the title of my book, or they'll judge me for some other version of the title of the book that I put out. It doesn't matter what I do. The only thing that matters here is, is it a true and authentic expression of me? And if it is, some people are going to be drawn to that, and some people are going to be put off by that, and it's okay. Nobody's going to die. So it really comes down to you doing the thinking, you uncovering. Don't stop it for you. Go in. So what? So what? So what? Mm -hmm. All the way to the bottom, mm -hmm. you see what you're actually up against. And you will see that most, and I mean the overwhelming fear that you're up against isn't real. Mm -hmm. Share more about that. So I think, I think yeah. you're absolutely right. Yeah. Because well, when you say it's not, it's not real, because, you know, I know some people are going to say, come on, Gary, it, it, it sure as hell feels real in the moment. Right. You know, right. what do you mean it's not real? It feels real. It's in, my, it's in my belly. It's in my gut. What do you mean it's not real? It's here. It's in my body. Right. Yeah. Well, if I give you a martini, some people might feel that their life is awesome. <laughs> and then they wake up the next day and realize they're still in the same shit show. Um. So, so how you feel it's not always, and I know, I know this flies in the face of what a lot of people believe, and I, and I appreciate that and I respect that. However, what, when, you've, when you've kind of put your life compass or what you're up to in life down to how you feel, then welcome to the roller coaster. You should stop complaining about it because you're putting everything you've got basically into your internal state which can be all over the place depending on what you saw on television, what somebody said to you, what you thought when you looked at your bank balance, you know, whether it rained or didn't rain, how the stock market's doing. Like, all your feelings are all over the map with that stuff. Now, yeah. if you were to live your life by something called commitment, if you were to live your life by promises and agreements, all of those things live outside of how you feel. So I might feel, I might experience fear, but if I continue to act anyway, I'll notice the complete inappropriateness of my fear. I'll see that it's actually not appropriate to what I'm doing. Like, I'm only changing job. I, I shouldn't be relating to this like I'm being stalked by a tiger. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love the image, man. <laughs> it definitely yeah. puts it into, yeah. in, into perspective. For sure. Uh, mm, mm, mm. You know, you, 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 back, back, back to the job thing, because uh, I, I know that there are probably folks that uh, are living, you know, vocations and jobs that they freaking hate. And so yeah. how, did you know it was, how did you know it was time for you to leave? And yeah. You know, did, did you did did you and do you set like in that moment? Did you set goals like, oh, I'm, I have this five year plan, this seven year plan, and and you know, there's so much talk about goal setting in personal growth. So I'm yeah. curious, like that those two kind of questions combined. How did you know it's time to leave? And did you set goals? Did you envision you'd be here? Do you set goals? What's your relationship to goal setting, yeah. and planning, and yeah. and all of that stuff? Okay, that's a, that's a pretty cool subject to actually get into with people because there's a lot to it. But um, mm -hmm. I think you've got to start with this. Look, you, I, I'll, I occasionally have used the word goal. Okay, I'll use it occasionally. I'm not a fan of that word, by the way. I mean, if you use it just as the word itself, the nature of a goal is an aim. That is, it's somewhere you're trying to get to. And... Again, the nature of that word includes the idea that you might get there and you might not. Mm. So a goal is like a kind of direction that you're heading in, but it's like from here to there. Right? Now, I, I tend to live my life a little differently. I tend to live my life from, from the future back the way. So that is, it's not a goal, it's an outcome. And it's happening. In mm. fact, it's already happened. All I need to do is get out of the way, whatever's in the way. 
And so my life today becomes about handling what's currently a barrier to that outcome. So there's no mm. alternative for me. When I, when I declare something, when I say this is what I'm up to, I'll, I'll, I'll give all of myself to it and I will not stop until that thing is revealed. I'm not, there's mm. no, this isn't up for how I feel or the weather or stuff that happens in my life. All that stuff's going to happen anyway. So, so my, the outcomes in my life are the result of actions that I took and the fulfillment of that outcome. So it's very different from a goal. It's not, I'm not trying to get there. I'm just getting out the way what's in the way today. And that might take me three weeks or four weeks or six months or a year. But for me, I have no panic about it. I have no worry about it. It's just the next thing that I'm removing, the next thing that I'm removing until I'm there. So that's number one with the idea of goals. Um, I think there's a, there's a general uh, kind of fascination uh, with purpose these days. Like people talk mm -hmm. about it a lot, like, you know, what's my purpose and how do I find yep. it? Which I've mm -hmm. always found to be really weird. It seems like, I mean, if you get to know, I mean, people, you'll see this in social media. People talk about finding your purpose. It's not mm. out there. It's not like something to be discovered under a hedge somewhere. You know, like, oh, my purpose is here all along at the bottom of my garden. And it's not, it's not. And people usually think it's some magical thing, you know, like, oh, yeah, I found my purpose. I'm raising orphaned koala bears. Right? You know, it seems like it's got to be something amazing, you know. A purpose is very much like, and this is, and this is, I mean, I'm kind of giving away my personal secrets here, but that's fine because it's not really a secret. Yeah. Um, so my life is about making a difference for people. Okay, that's it. That's my whole life. So that's about making a difference for my kids, my neighbors, uh, and my books, and my talks. Like everything that I do, if I go to the supermarket, I'm out to make a difference. Okay? Mm. And I do that in lots of different ways, some very small, some very big. But when I, a number of years ago, it's probably about 10 years ago now, when I looked at my life and I asked myself, is my life about making a difference for people? The answer was no. Right? It wasn't about that. It was about something else. It was about trying to make money and da 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 da, da. And that's when I surrendered myself to, use, to living my life on purpose, like purposefully mm. using my life for something. And that something wasn't a mystery to me. I created it. I said, this is what my life's about. Now, fortunately for me, um, this is what I'm going to use the rest of my life for. But, but I, was quite, I was quite willing to just use my life for that while I was living it. So you can live your life on purpose if you work at Dunkin' Donuts. It does, it's not your job. It's who you are in that job. Who are you in it? And here's what you'll see. You are off track. You're not being the person. You're not operating in a way that's consistent with what matters to you. And sometimes when you create a purpose, it takes you in a different career path. See, most people look at, for instance, like what I'm doing and say, I'd like to do that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because you've identified something that I'm doing as being something that would light you up or inspire you. Therefore, you're already on the wrong path. Because mm -hmm. your idea is that the content of life, that is what I'm doing, is what will inspire you. It won't. It'll still be you doing what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. what, the inspiration comes from not what I'm doing, but what I've made it about. So again, I can get inspired going to the grocery store because the whole thing isn't about getting groceries for me. It's about making a difference for people, including the people in my family, the people who work there, the guy who wants to bring out my groceries to the car. I'm going to talk to him. How are you doing? How's your day going? What's your name? Like I connect. I'm out to make a difference with people. So 
that's kind of the, the kind of the problem for us as human beings. We're so addicted to the content that we pay no attention to the context. That is, mm. I'm doing this, but what is this about for me? And the example that I use for people, by the way, is if you took two stonemasons and you had them working a piece of stone and you ask one, what are you doing? And he says, I'm making a living. And you ask the other mm. one what he's doing and he says, I'm building a cathedral. Which one do you think is the most inspired? And one of them is living with a purpose in mind, and the other one's just going through the mechanics or the content of what he's doing. So in life, purpose is to be created, it's to be operated on, it's to be guided by, it's to be nurtured and grown, and it's all on you. It, you won't find it in some course somewhere. You won't find it, you know, making surfboards in Hawaii. It's not about the content. It's about who you are. What's the context for everything you do? I love that. Your purpose is about who you are, not simply what you do. That's beautiful. Correct. That's really, that's awesome. So I love that shift in perspective, you know, it really brings it back rather than out external. It's, a, it's an internal experience um, right. of ourselves, really. Um, For sure. Was there, a, was there a time, Gary, where, you know, on this path of helping people and, um, you know, even in the last years, you, was there ever a time you felt like giving up or you felt like, ah, oh, this is too good, you know, helping, this is too hard. You know, I'd rather, yeah. it's, not, it's not moving fast enough. Maybe I, maybe I should just yeah. do something else. I mean, t tell me about, and if so, what kept you going? Yeah, um, the, the, the struggle at times is my own cynicism. You know, like being cynical about people and about life. And the only time that I get cynical is when I, I don't think what I'm doing is making any difference. And that's kind of what uh, that cynicism arises. Like, you know, I'll, I'll sometimes go on social media and I'll say, I'll, I'll be a simple thing. You know, I might say something like, you should forgive people. And then you'll see 20 responses from people about why they should never forgive. Right now, right. And then, and then they talk to me like I'm some sort of threat to society. Right. <laughs> but, but I, but I'm the one saying you should forgive. No, you're a fucking threat. We should, you know, you shouldn't say that to people, right? So there are times when, when, my, when it's right there in my face. But I also realize, uh, and again, I'll use those moments as an example. Yeah, I'm, I'm there to have those conversations with those people, not just the people that disagree with me. Mm. Like, I'm, those are the people that I should be talking to, not the ones who are just like, oh, yeah, you should forgive. I'm, you you already agree with me. Mm. I'm, I'm actually there to talk to the people who are anti what I'm saying, vehemently mm. against me, um, or, or not against me, but certainly against what I'm saying. Um, so when I think after a while, you get so grounded in what you're using your life for, and this is how it is for me, for sure. I'm so grounded in it. Um, there's really nothing that could come along and say, okay, I'm not going to use my life for that. I might not do it in mm. the same way. So I might do books or a TV show or I might, you know, do something, but it'll always mm. be from the exact same context. For me, it's always about using my life to empower other people's lives. Mm. Beautiful. Beautiful. Yeah, it really feels like you're grounded in that uh, deeper intention, regardless of, of the form. And regardless of, you know, how it looks on the surface, you know, in the outer world, uh, which for I sure. think is, is, a, is, a, is a key thing. Um, for those, I, I, I'm actually curious uh, about this, you know, uh, I, wrote a, I wrote a nationally best-selling book uh, a couple of years ago. So I have, you know, profound respect for any author, uh, big or small. And so there may, there may be uh, uh, folks out there that uh, want to go into the field and, Maybe they've been inspired by your book, Gary. They want to, to write books. And, and personally for me, right, I found writing books a pretty challenging endeavor. I'm not sure about your experience. But sure. It was definitely a, a challenging process. And 
very, very rewarding. Um, what advice would you have for those who want to write, aspiring writers, authors, in terms of just the writing process, but also, you know, in terms of uh, uh, making it uh, successful? Were, were there any yeah. lessons you learned in terms of, of really having it be a bestseller that you can kind of, any secrets, Gary, you, know, you can share with yeah. those listening in? There was something that I learned quite by accident, and and I didn't realize it at the time, but I I went into it uh, being okay with the idea that it might fail. And I didn't realize that at the time. I was very committed to it turning out. But it allowed me to kind of be with the whole process uh, in a pretty powerful way. Most people that I've ever come across in fact, a lot of people really feel as if they've got a book in them, right? Like I have a book in me. And somewhere in the back of our minds, like way back there, we think our book is going to be that big, you know, sells 5 million copies because when people hear what I've got to say, it's going to resonate. Mm. So, you know, so, some, so some, for some people, they might be bold about that thought. Other people, it might be kind of withholding it, buried away like a whisper in the back of their consciousness. But but at some level, as you're writing that book or you're going to put that book out, it'll rise up. The expectation will be there like, oh, I'm just going to self-publish. I'll put it on Amazon. And then you sit there clicking, refreshing the Amazon page, waiting for the sales to shoot up and nothing's happening, right? It's like, it's like a desert out there, right? It's like nothing. <laughs> um, and, and, and one of the things that I got was uh, putting – and it was really great for me at the time because I did this all on the fly as I was doing it. I realized mm. that no one's going to buy this book unless I tell them that it exists. Mm. And if I don't tell you that it exists, and, and, I, and so I, I literally would be working on my coaching business and using all the money that I raised to get myself out there and talking about the book and what it does and what it doesn't do and how it can help you and, and so to me, even though I spent a year writing that book, the first book, for me it was like that only amounted to about 10% of the effort that it took to make it successful because I had, mm. to, I had to talk to a lot of people and shake a lot of trees and ask a lot of questions, which resulted in, you know, I think we sold something like 30,000 copies in the first six months um, mm. from self-publishing, which then led mm. to, you know, big publisher coming in and scooping up, you know, the next five books after that. So mm. it's, you got to give up the idea, right? And I really just mean surrender yourself to the idea that you're going to be the next Ernest Hemingway, right? Or whoever might be mm. your hero. Um, and then commit yourself to, if you're going to write books, just write them. Just have it be about mm. writing the book. It's not the minute you start making it about I'm going to write this book and then I'm going to go on to Oprah Winfrey or going to you know become a gazillionaire. I think you're losing the magic of what it is to write books. And mm. and I say this wholeheartedly and unabashedly. If my first book had sold ten copies, I would be on my third book by now. Mm. I would have just kept writing and writing because. The writing became such a great way for me to express my ideas. So it was about that more than mm. how much money I could make from it or success I might get from it. I love it. I think that's, that's, such, a, that's such a key. Actually, in, in some of the things you've been saying, Gary, especially around purpose, and you know, I asked you a question earlier about giving up, and I, I, I really get that's one of the reasons you, you keep doing it is, is out of the love, but also it's just your own commitment to the process, it sounds like, the process of making a difference. It's not so much about the outcome and the money and the fame and this and that, what have you. It's because it's an expression of who you are. And right. uh, I'm, hearing, I'm, I'm hearing that in, in even one of the keys to, to writing, because I think so many people, they write a book and then it doesn't sell, sells 10 copies and then they give up because they don't get the result. Right. But uh, right. I'm re I'm really taking away that it's not so much about the result it's 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 about the process 
It's about the process of making a difference. And you've said this word, which honestly surprised me coming from you, even though I don't know you, but I love it. It's, it's, you've said it a few times, I think two or three times in this conversation is surrender. You said that you surrendered yourself to the idea. You've surrendered yourself to the idea. It may not sell. You surrendered yourself to the process. You surrendered, you know, and I think that's, 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 a, that's, that's a huge, huge key. Yeah. Beautiful. I, you look, Beautiful. Can I add there's something else that I'd like to yeah, add just really briefly, but, but um, when, so I've, I, I still, I still fight for my purpose. Like I'm, I'm fighting for it. Mm-hmm. And the more successful I get, the more I get people around me who want to turn this into some big, massive business. Okay. And mm-hmm. so there's been people approaching me and let's do this and monetize that audience and let's do this and let's, you know, do mastermind groups and courses and, and they're all very tempting. I mean, there's like lots and lots and lots of money, but, but, I, but I've refused them all. And the mm-hmm. reason I've refused them all is because they, they're, they're taking me in a direction that's inconsistent with what this is about. And I wouldn't mm-hmm. have gotten where I'm at if I deviated from what this is about. So for instance, you know, um, I have various agents. So I have an agent for literary stuff, I have an agent for television stuff, I have an agent for, you know, other, and they're very powerful. You know, I'm represented by UTA, which is one of the biggest agencies there is. Mm-hmm. And, but I interviewed UTA, I actually interviewed the agents and said, look, if you can't get behind this for the reason why I'm doing it, let's not pretend that we could make this work. We won't do it. And I actually spoke to another massive agency and, and I could just tell from the minute they showed up in the call, I just said, I'm not doing this with you guys. You guys are in this just to make money, which is nice. But if that's what's at the lead, we're screwed. And so yeah. I, it, yeah. it dominates everything. It's critical to me that this is real. It's authentic. It makes a difference. It cuts through the BS. And it's done in a way that's consistent with everything that I've built. Mm-hmm. I respect that, man. Definitely speaking my language, you know, coming from that, the, the place of service, you know, which is really what it's yeah. about, you know. And, yeah. Uh, beautiful, beautiful. Deep respect. You know, uh, Gary, you've shared a lot in this conversation. I want to thank you for your time. You know, I, I want to ask one more question. Uh, as we begin kind of winding down, it's been a lot of fun. Uh, folks, if you're just joining this conversation, uh, we're having an amazing Soul Talk episode with Gary John Bishop. Uh, we're diving deep today, talking about matters of the heart, author of Stop Doing That Shit, uh, New York Times bestseller. Um, so, so Gary, if there were, let's say, if you were to review your entire life, everything you've lived, ups, downs, successes, failures, learnings, if, there, if we were to distill your life, this conversation, if there were three key life lessons, if there were only three key life lessons that, you, let's say, you could pass on to the next generation, you know, the, your best learnings, nuggets of wisdom that you feel would evolve, you know, the next generation the most, your kids, grandchildren, et cetera, what would the, the three key life lessons be that you'd pass yeah. on to the next generation? Yeah, so the first one... Um would be that your word is more powerful than how you feel. Mm. And that if you live your life by your word, it'll always go in the direction that you had wanted it to go. So that's the Mm -hmm. first one. Um, The second one really, and it's such a corny thing to say, but it's accurate. Uh, Love conquers all. So ultimately Mm. love will win. Right? So, uh, I've had disagreements with family members over the year and years and they've made attempts to end our relationship or at least, you know, like distill it down. And I, 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 I'm very straight with them about it. I say, you can't not love me. I won't permit it. <laughs> right? and so, I like that. So I keep, I keep bringing love to the table and you've got no shot with me. Wait. Wait, I love that. But you can't not love me. I won't permit it. Now that's a line. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> that, that might be your next. That might be your next book, man. <laughs> <laughs> and then, and then the last one is, um, yeah, you you have the life you create, 
And if you're having a miserable life, you might want to try on the idea that at some level you're creating that. Mm. And so you, so you always have the life you create. And so it's incumbent upon you, if you're not happy this, with this one, to create one that you are happy with. And, mm. um, you know, you can't, nobody's coming to save you in that game. You ought to step mm. up, take ownership, create something that inspires you, and step into the great unknown with that. Beautiful. Beautiful. Your word is more powerful than your feelings. Love conquers all, and you have the life you create. Folks, you heard it from Gary John Bishop. Uh, three key life lessons. You know, Gary, I really want these uh, interviews to be immediately applied by those listening in. If there, could you assign like a, a homework assignment? If there's like one yeah. simple uh, action step that people literally right now yeah. can go and do to implement, uh, what's one thing? Yeah, right. So just if you sit for a moment and think of your life the way it is, there's something you're tolerating right now. It might be the current state of a relationship. Like there's something you know you need to say or take ownership for or forgive. Then you should get that handled right now. If there's something about your your the kind of elements of your life, like your taxes or something about your house or your car that you've been putting off and tolerating, like it's been in the back of your mind, get it handled right now. If there's something you've been meaning to do, like a pro, you know, like a start your book or apply for a business license, get it handled. We don't realize that the things that we tolerate, even though they seem like little things, they go they go into the backpack of life. You carry that stuff around. You don't realize it. You just get reminded of it every now and again. Start handling what you're tolerating and handle it with little things. If you've been tolerating not going to the gym, go to the gym right after you hear this this uh, this message. Um, you know, like all of these little elements, you start taking on what you've been tolerating. You'll not only notice your life take an upturn, but you'll actually start to experience yourself as bolder, more powerful, and actually just more fulfilled. Awesome. Folks, you heard it. The homework assignment from this uh, episode of Soul Talk, start handling what you've been tolerating, complete those incompletions, free up your energy. Gary, it's been a, an awesome episode. You know, really genuine thanks for coming on and sharing your love, your heart, your gifts, your wisdom with, with everyone today. I know we've been blessed. Uh, what's the best way if people want to find out about your work? Uh, what's the best way people can find out about your work and what you're up to? Is there a website? Yeah. Yeah, yeah there is. There's my website, GaryJohnBishop.com. You can sign up there and I'll send you newsletters and keep you updated with where I'm going for my talks. Um, you can also catch up with me on social media. I'm on Twitter. I'm pretty active <laughs> on Instagram. And I'm also on Facebook. Um, it's probably a quarter of a million followers on Facebook, but I'm very active on Instagram, actually. I'm on there most days. Um, so you can catch up with me. You'll, you'll get, you know, lots of little quotes and sayings explained to you and little insights to help you, you know, navigate some of the stuff that you're dealing with in your life. Awesome. Awesome, folks. You heard it. Uh, go to uh, www.garyjohnbishop.com, sign up and check out what Gary has going. I've been perusing his website, got some great stuff there. And definitely, if you haven't checked out his books, stop doing that shit. And also, Unfuck Yourself, uh, New York Times bestselling books. You'll be deeply inspired. Gary, thank you for coming on, sending you much love, folks. I told you this was going to be a, an, an amazing episode, lots of practical wisdom advice. Uh, send me an email, folks, kublaxon at kublaxon.com. I want to hear about uh, some of your key takeaways from today's episode with Gary. And also uh, make sure you download, subscribe, and share it with your friends. Until we uh, connect again, love now. If you've enjoyed this episode of Soul Talk, please do share the podcast with all of your friends. Let everyone know and make sure you download Soul Talk today. I'm looking forward to next week where I'll get to share more inspiration with you. Meanwhile, follow me on Facebook, Instagram, or social media. You can find out more about my work at www.coopblackson.com. If you feel ready to take your life to the next level, join me at my exclusive event in Bali, www.boundlessblissbali.com, where you can find out more and apply. Also, make sure to remember to download my free two-part video training series and learn the ultimate secrets to happiness and fulfillment at coopblackson.com. Sending you all big hugs and love now.